That one driven deep right field. Thank you, go. Gone for Morgan Chris. And Vincent Chamberlain. That ball. Going to the wall. Chamberlain the second for this first hit. Mounted second, going to third. With his first hit of the season. So, and the pitch. That one swung deep to left. And that one's gone! Savvy Seaman with a three-run shot. And the Warhawks take the lead. All right, live from Camp Brandel on the University of Wisconsin campus. Uh, as I'm here for the Kimberly game, Kevin Holden, CBS 58, is kind of here for more than one game, all right? Yeah, I suppose that's that's true. McGuanago uh, in Division One, and then we're uh, Kettle Moraine in Division Two. So, yeah, we'll get a little twofer. Mm -hmm. I got the Kimberly Papermakers, so obviously... I think tonight's gonna or this this game's gonna be a, a battle between running backs. I think Wingstein, obviously one of the best running backs in the state. Uh, Blake Berry's kind of been the guy pounding the rock for the papermakers. So I so, what's kind of your thoughts kind of going into this game and? The, you know the thing about it is, D shot. It's about it's a, to me it's about the moment, right and. Kimberly is a, a program that has experienced the moment many, many, many times over through the years, right? Mm -hmm. And and the moment happens here in a big stadium like this, in a pressure situation, in a game that's televised. And I always think that the advantage goes to the team that's been in that situation before. I mean, McGuanago is a, a, a talented team. They've, they've been good for several years. They've been, uh, you know, one of those top teams in one of the larger divisions in the state. But there's just something about that being having been in that moment before, experiencing that moment before, and Winston. I mean, is, most of the coaching staff outside of one guy. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, Chad Michaelitz taken over for the legendary Steve Jones. Right. So he's experiencing the moment for the first time in that role. Yep. So that I mean, obviously, that's a big part of it. But uh, yeah, if you can if you can make this happen where where the moment isn't too big for you, then you're all right. But I got to tell you, to me, the advantage is always with the traditional favorite. I feel mm -hmm. like Kimberly's that team. I think defense is going to be a big thing in in the Kimberly McGuanago uh, game because I think if if you get into a, I think if you get like into a twenty twenty one or twenty one twenty one game or somebody's up a touchdown, you, a defensive stop is going to go a long way. It's true. And remember, the other thing to remember is you're you're experiencing conditions for this championship game that really we haven't had all year. We've had some chilly nights, but this is true Wisconsin no <coughs> excuse me, November weather with the with the snow blowing and the temperatures below freezing. This is uh, this is when you want running backs to be at their best. That's why that matchup to me is the most enticing because they are the teams that are probably built best for this weather. I guess as we talk kind of about high school football, um, who, like, what's been some of the surprises in the Milwaukee area in terms of high school football? Well, I think we're looking at one uh, here in this division too with Kettle Moraine, a team that uh, hasn't been at a stage like this since 1988. Uh, and we were talking about literally how long ago, 1988. That's when my brother was born. Right, 34 years ago. So it's not that these players haven't experienced it in their lifetimes. Some of their parents were too young to remember it, right? I mean, we're talking generations that have not had a chance to experience this. And uh, 
so I mean, to me, Kettle Moraine is, is is right there. I think they're they're one of the big surprises for sure. There were a few others uh, in the area, a couple of teams that that got upset uh, as the playoffs went along that were kind of a, a shock to me. Teams that I thought might be here, but uh, I don't know. On the positive side, you know, the, this, the Kettle Moraine's that, that team. It's the fun to see them get here. This would have this would have been a cooler experience if Kimberly obviously would have stayed and made it. But to have Kakana, if Kakana wouldn't have lost the West Pier last week, if you would have had Kakana and Kimberly here, um, both both teams, obviously both schools, kind of conference rivals and all that, and to have them, if that would have happened, I mean, talk about Cinderella run in the state of Wisconsin. Kakana was just, wow. You know, Noah Hoffman had 800-something yards in the playoffs, and... They upset Sussex Hamilton. They upset Homestead. Um, they had kind of a big. That was kind of one of the big surprises in the Fox Valley. Even though Chad Michaelwitz said prior um, to um, after the Kimberly game, you know he expected Kakana to be the force in the Division Two playoffs. Interesting that a coach gives you a little bit of, a, of an advance warning on it. And sometimes we hear it and sometimes we don't. And, and I think it's funny that when something like that turns around and happens, when you catch a little bit of advance notice of it, it, it makes you listen a little closer to what those coaches say sometimes because, you know, they, they see their guys. They have their finger on the pulse of where the guys have been and where they're headed. And uh, it's interesting when you hear something like that, it's like, you know, the, the next time he says that, People are going to pay attention. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cool. We almost had three teams in uh, my coverage area get here. We had, you know, obviously Kokana came so close. Um, Little Shoot had a good run um, in the playoffs as well. Um, so I'm kind. Of, it's kind of would have been cool to have three teams too. But um, as we kind of move on, uh, we're coming off the heels of the Packers losing seven, uh, 27 to 17 in against the Titans last night. Um, my kind of feeling about that game last night, the Packers had three defensive stops in the fourth quarter and didn't do anything with it. And it's just like, that's just frustrating. It's the, it's the thing that, that Wisconsin sports fans just flat aren't used to because if at any point in Aaron Rodgers' career you said the thing that you just said, Packers stopped him three times in the fourth quarter. You feel like Rodgers is going to lead the Packers to like 17 or 21 points out of that because it's what he did, and he did it for year after year in his career. And I think we're, we're at a point now, 11 games into the season, where I think we have to we have to look, start looking at this a little bit differently. It's not a streak of bad luck. It's not a streak of a couple of injuries that have decimated the team. It's something greater. It's either, you know, and, and you can look at it any way you want. You can look at it as a defense that's broken or, or a scheme that's bad under Joe Barry or the fact that Aaron Rodgers either is more hurt than he's letting on with the thumb or he's approaching the finish line. But what I don't understand about that is I just watched him win two MVPs, 2020 and 2021. How does he get there that fast? That's kind of a surprise to me. How much does it, do you think some of it has to do with kind of him not being in the um, the, tri the the off-season workouts? And how much would that maybe have helped kind of gain rapport with some of these other receivers? Or? Well, you, you raise a good point. I, I, don't, I don't know how, like if it's crucial in his case for him, just because, you know, he's done it year after year and he's managing reps on his body and stuff like that. But this year it is a little bit different just because of how fresh and new 
everything else in the receiving core is. Christian Watson's his recent superstar. Christian Watson was in college at this time last year. Romeo Dobbs was in college at this time last year. Uh, you know, Alan Lazard was a number three receiver, which would be a much better role for him than a number one receiver. So, uh, yeah, maybe there's a little something to it just because rapport would matter uh, more with a group that has not come together. But I think it surprised everyone, including Rodgers, that, that just losing one guy, I mean, they, they did lose more than one, but they lost Devontae Adams, and, and it has changed the entire dynamic of that receiving room, and by nature, the entire dynamic of the offense. They would love to run the ball effectively and win every week off of that. But if your passing game and your receiving core is that bad, it's hard to do, right? Yeah. Everyone's going to stack the box on you. How much do you think, obviously, it's, we talk about kind of, obviously, the Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill, and they were able to get MBS, Jimmy Smith-Schuster. How much of it is also kind of the Packers maybe should have been a little bit more serious on some of these other, maybe in the free agency. We know they were looking at Chase Claypool in the, in the trade deadline to kind of do some of that in the offseason to kind of replace some of that production from Adams instead of going directly just through the draft and maybe just getting Watkins. Yeah, it's, it is obvious now that the depth at receiver eroded away from this team. And you, and you can fix that any one of a number of ways. And the Packers usually are not, <laughs> excuse me, not a, not a free agent-laden kind of team. They don't go after a ton of free agents, but they could have. That's one way that you could fix it. Another way that you could fix it is to address it properly in the draft. And I think one of the things that's being exposed of late is the fact that the Packers, if you, if you, you can look at first round picks and you can look at second round picks or whatever. But when uh, when Amari Rogers got released and th- there was that tweet of all of those third round picks that the mm. Packers have had in the last decade or so, and shout he, out shout out Tom Grassi with the, I think he had a good video on that the, on, gra- on, the Grassi Posse pack whatever the pack cast I don't, oh, yeah. see, I don't know if you ever watched that no but so he talked third round picks right? yeah and and he and he tells you this message that man Ty Montgomery might be the best or one of the best of that bunch and that says a lot because third round picks think about think about the the math of the whole thing a third round pick should be uh, even if you just value players like if mm. everyone was drafted exactly according to their value you should have a top 90 player in the third round. If you are a team that's draft and develop and your strength is to find players and get them and, and get more out of them, there should be a top 50 to 60 player in the third round. I don't think there's a top 50 or 60 player in that group, not one of them. And so this has been a problem that's happened over time for a team that likes to draft and develop. There have been some draft issues and receivers where it's hit and hardest. All right, let's move over to the Brewers. Um, what are some of the things that you hope to see the Brewers make in the, in the offseason? Brad Boxberger gone. Um, Brewers just lost Brent Suter, which means I have to make a trade on MLB The Show to get him off the Brewers roster. <laughs> Maybe I have to get both of them off the roster, but um, uh, just what kind of moves do you think the Brewers need to make? How much kind of does the uh, the amount of players and arbitration kind of, does that help them or hurt them or and stuff like, obviously, you got to extend Burns and, and Woodruff at some point, or you got to decide what you're going to do there. What's kind of your approach to yeah, I mean, you you got to start, I think, by where does your compass point? Because that's that's where we are. Like, the thing about the Josh Hader trade is it blew up 2022. We, we know this now in retrospect. It, it changed the dynamic of the locker room. It changed the dynamic of the team. It, it took a team that was in first place and knocked them out of the playoff race. Now, 
you got to figure out what your compass is. And what I mean by that is, if the brewers are deciding that, that this is going to have to be something that's repeated down the line, maybe Corbin Burns is about to get traded. I don't want that to happen. You don't want that to happen. No. The world I know Colton Wan is on the, the rumor block as well for the Mariners, I think. Yeah, so, so what is, where's your compass? If the Brewers say, we want to win the National League in 2023, we want to compete to make it to the World Series in 2023, now you've got to spend some money. Now, now you've got to do something to re, retool some stuff in the offense. You've got a lot of good young talent in the outfield that I love, and I want to see more Renfro of Garrett Mitchell. And... Yeah, Renfro's exactly, you know, these guys are coming up, right? Yeah. You want to keep them. But what you, the other thing you want to do is fortify that pitching staff and the last thing you can do to send your team a message to be competitive would be to trade Corbin Burns so we're talking two completely different realities mm. if the Brewers are rebuilding if they're deciding that they don't have the money to retain what they have and they needed expected value back then Burns is gone if they want to compete in the National League in 2023 Burns has to stay there's no other choice yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird offseason how much kind of do you feel like anything needs to be done on the offensive side? I know there was so swing and miss a lot of last, some of last year after the hot start. I would like, I, I mean, honestly, if, you, if you're trying to boost what is going on in that offense, you've got to find positions specifically. It's not just bats, it's positions, which means if, if a... Because right now it's what, Urias is at third. Right. Adamas at short. Right. Juan's at second. First base is got Rowdy, uh, Rowdy got, Tellez. Yeah. Catcher. Nobody right now because Narvaez is a free agent. Narvaez is a free agent. So right now Severino's gone, right? I think that's right. So then they got Peyton Henry. So really there's a, there's a spot that you can maybe get a power back. Oh, yeah. Right. At. Third's the other one in my mind. I mean, True. I like Urias. I mean, I don't – and that will be the show. I don't have Urias playing third. I have uh, – and Henio Suarez playing third. See, you found a bat. And then I got my DH is Chris Bryant. Oh, you found two bats. And Miguel Sano. You found three bats. <laughs> yeah, they had three bats. Yeah, and, and I traded to get uh, uh, what? Not Jordan Strasburg. That's a Whitewater name. Um, Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg. Oh, okay. So my pitching staff is Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, Strasburg, and then Adrian Hauser. Wow. See. Now, now you've built something something good there. Now you've taken the path where the Brewers say we're going to try to win the but National then at League. But at the same at the same time, I ended up getting Gavin Lux, Jared Kalanick, the, the kids from here, kids from Wisconsin. Cool. I like that. AJ Vukovic, Justin oh, Lavi. Oh, you really did go get the people from Dalton Varsho. Oh, wow. Lake Bacher, Whitewater guy. All Wisconsin stuff. So I mean, look, the, if the if the Brewers could find a way to get an Eugenio Suarez on the roster, to me that's the number one way they can help themselves to improve at third base. Not that Urias isn't useful, but Urias is as a utility guy with a power hitting third baseman mm -hmm. makes the Brewers a better ball club. Yeah, because then you can have him play short. Sure. Let him say second fills in, which means anytime any of those guys needs a day off, you have a quality guy who can fill in for them, but you have an even better guy playing third base. It's like it's like having Yelich, Renfro, Kalanick in the outfield and having a Kyle Lewis in, as a backup outfield. Yeah, like this is now now you've made some steps to to improve it. I honestly it's a crossroads time for the Brewers. They see they, so probably I'm a better GM than Matt Arnold. Right well, now. Uh, here's a question: Is there is there a function in MLB the show where you have to ask Mark Adonacio to spend money, or do you just go spend it? 
I think you can set it for the so you don't there's no set well whatever you call it no do you have a salary cap in your in your game I think I turned that off uh-huh. okay <laughs> I think in the tw- MLB 20 the show I had I was able to give Yelich a 413 million dollar deal oh, see and Tom Hodgecourt was like yeah it's way too much money Wait, how did Hodgecord find out? I tweet, I like direct message him on Twitter. Oh, I got you. Okay, so yeah, I mean, there's there there's the question, right? And and again, you're talking identity of this Brewers team that they have to figure out this off season. That's part of the identity, which is, I, I get when you're talking about small market baseball. I get there are limitations, there are trades that'll be made that will be unpopular, but there does have to be some money spent. Mm. There does. And and Christian Yelich's contract was a significant chunk of money spent that's not getting them a return, which means good money has to go after bad. Is Mark Adonacio okay with that? Yeah. That's and then how much, obviously we talked about the bats, how much do you kind of have to go after, um, obviously really leaf pitching, can you rely on Devin Williams in the closer role? Uh, do we, t- does Taylor, was it Taylor Rogers? He's still there. Um who else do they have in that bullpen? Obviously, Brent Suter being gone kind of hurts that a little bit. Right. Do you feel like they have to make moves there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I'll say this. One of the things that David Stearns has done, or did, i, I got to think of that in the past tense, one of the things he did really well was to identify talent that could help them in the bullpen, bring them in, and make them good. Remember Drew Pomeranz Yeah. how good he was with the Brewers? The, the, that's one position. They Wade got. Miley. Wade Miley was terrific. I have Matt Harvey in MLB The Show as right. a lawn relief guy. So they and I and I don't know the exact process there. Whether it's they identify something that a pitcher can do differently and they bring him in and have him do that thing differently, or what exactly it is. But they do that as well as anybody. So it, it, so yeah, you're right. They do need some bullpen help. But when you're talking about confidence level. I feel more confident that they'll find that bullpen help than I have at any other position. You know, at third mm-hmm. base, they need to spend some money or wherever else. But in the bullpen, I feel like they can find their guys. Um, let's move over to the Bucks. Obviously, they're one of the best teams. You know, they're the good thing about Wisconsin professional sports right now. Because right now, we have one of the best teams in the NBA. Um, how, what's kind of been your thought on the Bucks lately? Obviously, right now, Milton's out. Uh, Pat Connaughton's been out. They've been able to really kind of test that depth. And obviously, Marjan Bochamp has had a good start to the season. Um, Javon Cotter has really stepped up after they got him last year, and he had a big game. I think it was against OKC where he had 30-some points. Just what's kind of your early thoughts on the Bucks? I think they're deep. I think they're dangerous. I think the fact that they've been so good without Middleton is... Is it another championship coming? I mean, look, you it, it's hard to know if you can do, build momentum in April the way you can in October, November. But if they do, they're much a bet as anybody. I mean, they're the Lakers are terrible. The Nets are a mess. There are, there are teams around the league that were expected to be at least close to the elite level that aren't even close. And, and again, a lot changes between here and April and May and June. but man, You think the Celtics would have been a mess, but yeah, the right. whole Ime Odoka thing. Right, and then yeah, that he goes down and was going to be the Nets coach for a half a minute, and then it doesn't happen. It, I mean, it Sounds like a Bill Belichick thing. A little bit. A little bit. A little Josh McDaniels, a little uh, out and then back. So it's I, – I think the Bucks, the way they look and the way they could look when you get a healthy Middleton back and Connaughton and everybody, they're as, as good a bet to win a championship as anybody in the NBA. And what an awesome thing that is for for the Bucks, for the state, 
two years removed from a championship that they could win another one. I, I'll dig that because when they won the championship, I had to do pizza delivery that night. The night of the championship? The you night of the championship, pizzas? I had to do pizza pizza hut delivery in Kenosha. Why and I told everybody. About before now? I told, told about, I, I told the people that I was working with. I would rather be in Milwaukee, and it was like I had to work the whole night. Yeah, but how much? You must have made a ton of money. I probably did, but I was like, I do not want to do this shift right now because <laughs> I was like, I wanted, I wanted, to, and I was watching the game in my car. Yeah. While doing deliveries, I get I, it. I get it. You so wanted to I, be a part of that celebration. Yeah. So if they can, they can do that again. I will ask appreciate off. it. Ask off. I should have. I put didn't. Those, put those dates on your calendar now. With the, the finals dates. Well, I don't have to do off. that now. Oh, because you're saying you're not delivering pizza anymore. No, because okay. I'm a sports reporter for a newspaper in Appleton. So oh, that's... well, then you better be watching it because it's your job now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> do we want to hit any more on the – well, as we're sitting at Camp Randall, let's move over to the college football. Um, what do you, What's your kind of – been your assessment of Jim Leonard, Leonard right now for the Badgers job? Do you think it's just still his to, to lose, or is there another option out there um, that you think the Badgers could go after? It's a weird situation because normally at 5-5, five and five, I would be waving all kinds of flags. But given where they were the moment they fired Paul Christ to where they are right now, I actually think Jim Leonard has done a good job of stabilizing the program. It isn't going to help him this year. They'll barely get to bowl eligibility. They're just going to limp to the finish of this year, and that's okay. I think the school, the athletic mm. administration understands that. But I think Jim Leonard has done plenty to get the interim removed from the title and to remain as the coach. In fact, honestly, with a with a university and a program that, that plays system football, that has a way, he's fine for that particular way. There's there's no reason they need to go anywhere else. I, I mean, I, if they were to, it would be Lance Leipold, but Lance Leipold ain't leaving Kansas. He's got, have you been watching, like, the recruit videos that are coming out? You know how they do that on Twitter now? Oh, here's a recruit visiting Kansas, and they put this music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's supposed to be very, like, appealing to a 17-year-old to get the hip-hop music and all that stuff. I sounded so old just then. Um, yeah, but I can be older because my, the music that I kind of mainly listen to, you got to remind yourself, is way older than yours. <laughs> but, but the thing about it is, that's Kansas. Like, in other words... Lance, Lance Leipold is a, is a good coach who has taken a program that's been terrible for a long time. And he did the same thing with Buffalo. And he's made him relevant, right? And I, I think there's work for him left to do there. It's not that it's not that he wouldn't be a fit here. I think he'd be a fine fit at Wisconsin. But where and he's I think at, he would consider that a dream job. Sure. Coming back to a state where, where he you know was, was at Whitewater all those years. But he's the situation he's in in this moment with the program that he has is uh, it's I think it's a great challenge for, for Leipold in, in Kansas, and I think he's rising to that challenge really well. Um, I think, obviously, with the D3 playoffs also getting started, um, who do you think goes further? Do you think Whitewater goes further? Or do you think, obviously, Whitewater is 8-2 with only two losses, a loss to Platteville during the regular season, a lost, opening loss to St. John's? 
lacrosse obviously lost to whitewater but they're they're in the playoffs as well you have the isthmus bowl this week um shout out mason van zeeland from kakana shout out um playing in that game um just kind of do you have any thoughts on the d3 playoffs well i mean i i, I think we've seen enough years of success in the postseason from whitewater that you can't go against them especially early mm-hmm. uh i think even even I think the bracket's going to be kind of actually when you look at the bracket, Whitewater plays Aurora this weekend, um, but on their their pod, it's you got to play. You know, you could play lacrosse in the sum in the quarterfinals. Probably going to end if it if if it all were to kind of go as predicted, it's probably going to be Whitewater St. John's in the quarterfinals, and then Whitewater and Mountain Union in the, in the semis. In the semis. And then the other side is North Central, Mary Harden Bay, or Linfield. All those schools that are always there. Yep, and I, so I, I'm kind of against them ever putting Whitewater and Mount Union on the same side. I hate that. Because you feel like it should be a championship. I think that should be the championship. Yeah. I think that you're so used to that. So I just kind of... Well, I think you hit it on the head. I think I think uh, Final Four, semifinal is probably their floor, and their ceiling is probably national champion, mm. depending on how those go. But you know, Mary Harden, Baylor, Linfield, out in Oregon, those are those are schools that do the the right things every year. The way Whitewater does, there's no reason they won't be in that elite group. Again. I think they got to pick it up in the running game a little bit. I saw signs in the regular season finale, scoring 79 points, um, but. They've had a 1,000-yard rusher every year since 2004, and right now no one's really maybe, – maybe they have a couple at 600, but they need some guys to kind of rush a little bit more so that they can extend that streak. You need, you need a combination, right? An effective run game can be one guy a lot, or it could be three or four guys in rotation, you know, different styles, that kind of thing. The, the, the most important thing in that run game is that you find rhythm and you find it now because you, you don't have a game to not locate it. And that's, I think that's probably where they're focused. Um, thoughts on the college football playoff before you, we end this? You, you know that I'm, you know that I'm, I'm biased, right? You, you're familiar why I have a bias in the, on the college football playoff? I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. Texas? I went, I went to one of the schools. The one that's number one right now, as, we, as we're speaking at the time of the Georgia? Podcast. Yeah, that's my that's okay. my alma mater. That's your, that's your, okay. So I went to the national championship game in January as a fan, and, and it was incredible. And the chance to do that for a second time is, a, if you unless you go to Alabama, that's a dream for anyone. That's a once-in-a-lifetime for anyone. Um, so I'm letting my fandom get in the way. But I, I feel like they can do it again. I really do. I, I don't know if there's a team that's quite at the level they're at. But I also don't like saying it out loud because I'll jinx them. Mm. You know? I'm a terrible fan. Terrible. I was at the national championship game, and, and all these fans around me are screaming and yelling. Just, ah! And, and I'm going, safety help, safety help. Get, get, get your safety down there. Come on. Like, I'm, I'm a bad fan. Just it's, probably, it's probably a good thing you're a, sport, a sportscaster in Milwaukee. Way better. Because <laughs> if I was not, if that wasn't my actual like day job, I'd be in serious trouble. Because I know the people in the uh, section were annoyed with me. Okay, we'll end this with um, favorite, like, either sports moment or favorite venue that you've been at for a game. Wow. 
favorite venue for now? Are we talking like in the last year? Or are we talking ever? Just ever, I guess. Oh, like man. my favorite sports moments that I've ever saw in person are the Cordell Young game winner for Whitewater. Oh yeah. And the Mary Merck two buzzer beater game. I don't know if I ever told you about that one. Yes, that's crazy. They're both top players on Sports Center. I saw them live. That's amazing. That's it. And and big moments provided by a school that's given a lot of them. That's for sure. Uh, gosh, I. So 2011, Carlos Gomez, Niger Morgan was an in-person moment for me. Uh, Rogers to Jeff Janis in Arizona to force Ooh, overtime in yeah. the playoffs okay. because he had every other receiver on that team hurt or ineffective, and he managed to find Janis, who was a kid then, in the end zone. Uh, those two, those two come to mind, uh, like right away. It would have been, it would be cool if you said the uh, Richard Rodgers catch. Oh, I was there, but you know, you know that story, right? No, I didn't. I have a, see I, one it. of my best friends is a Lions fan, so it's always. You're rubbing it in his face right he, now. You're he's rubbing it in my face that the Packers are losing now, and he no. thinks. You just, you just put that clip on repeat for him. So, I was at Ford Field. And four of us in the media contingent got stuck in an elevator and never saw the play. They, literally, Rogers, Aaron Rodgers drops back to pass, no time on the clock, and the elevator. Did you at least have it here like a radio call? Oh, it sounded no, nothing. It sounded nothing. like the stadium was going to fall down. Like that noise was unlike any noise I'd ever heard in a stadium, and and I, we didn't know what happened. So this elevator's descending through brick to the bow, to the bottom of the building, and it's me. Um, Lily Zhao, who works at Fox 6, Stephen Watson, who's now at Bally, and Caitlin Sharkey, who works in Chicago now. Uh, we were all Milwaukee Green Bay media at the time, and the four of us are screaming, what happened? What happened? And then the elevator doors open on the ground floor, and there's a TV right beyond the door, and there's someone in the end zone with their hands up. So I, I was there, but I didn't see it. That's wow, really bad. Really bad. <laughs> um. Really bad. You say any venues? I've seen this oh, is the venues? first time that I've ever been at Camp Randall. So this is, I, I love this venue because because of the history of it and the fact that they it looks the same roughly as it did when I first started here 13 years ago and the same as it did I'm sure 50 years ago. Uh, I I enjoy. I at least knocked out the Cole Center last year. <laughs> Excuse me. That was for when the Warhawks were doing an exhibition game. Oh yeah, that's a that's a great venue too. Uh, I. I got, I'm running through them in my mind. I, Fenway Park is unbelievable. Um, I actually wrote a column in my paper that this was the first time, and I listed all the places. Lambeau, yeah. Pfizer Forum, yeah. Old Bush Stadium, yeah. Ballpark in Arlington. Yeah, can't argue it. Anything you said so far. And Lambeau obviously has an atmosphere. Wrigley Field for the Ozzy Osbourne take-me-out-to-the-ball-game. When he couldn't remember the words. Yep. That's great. I, baseball-wise, San Diego and Pittsburgh are probably my top two. Okay. Just, just I feel like a lot of people say that. Pittsburgh's unbelievable. And San Diego is... is Underrated as one the of the Western Medical Metal Supply Company and yeah, in left field. field. Yep, there's a team store out there, and uh, it's great. And there's there's some you know a restaurant, some chance to get seating out there in San Diego. It's built into a thing called the Gas Lamp District, which is like a nightlife district. Unbelievable. Uh, football wise, I mean Jerry World is a sight to behold, but you you have to be able to stomach the Cowboys to do it. Kind of like Yankee Stadium. Like Yankee Stadium is great but they never let you forget it's the Yankees that are playing mm. there. Um, basketball is a little tough. I, it, it's, I think it's tough to put the same kind of character into a basketball arena that you do with football or baseball. I, got, I think I would say in terms of basketball, outside of Fiserv, I would say a good one is uh, it's a D3 school, but 
The gym was amazing. The DeVos Fieldhouse out at Hope College. Oh, okay. That was a good... That, good arena that it's a de- I guess it was funded by an alumni there yeah you love to see when when um, it doesn't look like a big. d3 gym yeah. like that's that's uh, terrific um we can do last time I had you on we did a NFL name name five and knock them out for the heck of it let's do Brewers okay so I guess Going back to let's say two thousand and two, all right. Name five. You can. I'll give you the go. You can start. All right now. Yeah. All right. Five Brewers. Okay. Here we go. We're gonna go Christian Yelich. We're gonna go Ryan Braun, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Adrian Hauser. Okay. Um, Scott Pitsudnik, Carlos Lee, two guys that were traded for each other. Uh, Derek Turn. Bow, even though you want to say turn blow. <laughs> you have to stop yourself. Uh, ben Sheets, that's four. Ray King. Ray King. That's amazing. Ray King, is that five? Yeah, that's five. Um, let's go Niger Morgan, Carlos Gomez, Unieski Betancourt, Ricky Weeks, Corey Hart. Okay. Prince Fielder, we named him. Okay, Prince Fielder, Rowdy Tellez, Richie Saxon, or as uh, Matt Vescursion says, you sexy boy, you. <laughs> um, Lyle Overbay, that's another first baseman. Um, who else? Let's go the other Gamble, Matt Gamble. That's Guy whose career was shortened by an injury. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate for him. All right. Now let's go Burke Baden-Hop. Let's go, um, see, I'm going to a specific theme here. Let's go yeah. Jonathan Broxton. Let's go um, Jeremy Jeffress, Corey Knabel, and Josh Hader. Okay. Trent Durrington, Chris Magruder. Well, now you're going on a completely <laughs> different realm here. Brooks Kieschick. Um Did anybody name Jeff Jenkins? No. We got Jeff Jenkins. Jeremy Burnett's. Oh, my gosh. You might win just based on that. I think I beat. I think I beat like three whitewater baseball players one year just doing this in the bar. Well, I just what I can't believe is those first like those first two are a flex that you just did like with the first two names. Yeah, Chris McGruder and uh, Trent Durrington, who was like an Australian. That's a that's a flex, man. I don't remember. I I shouldn't even contend. Like I feel like you won right there. Okay. I think I think you got that one. All right. Well, I guess we'll end it there then. All right. So, Kevin, thanks for on for being on again, and I guess go makers. Got to do what you got to do. So um, I can't, you know, I can't say that because I got viewers that are that are rooting for the other teams. Yeah, I know. But but you you can go makers all you want. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Podcasts on D-Shot. Feel free to give any of the other episodes a listen, as a lot of them have some great, exciting content, as well as some great interviews. Don't forget to give my Facebook page a like, Daniel Shotler Journalist, as well as give me a follow on Twitter or Instagram at dshot1992. Don't forget to subscribe if you're on Google Podcasts or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find this. 
and hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and have a good day.